In this episode of the podcast, I catch up with Oliver Stewart, an award-winning teacher who works in a comprehensive school in Whitehaven, Cumbria in the UK. Ollie was nominated for a Golden Apple Award back in 2021 for his inspirational approach to science teaching. He is an early career teacher, or ECT as they're sometimes referred to, and he's just starting out on his own pedagogical pathway. In this episode, we talk about the challenges of making abstract scientific ideas relevant to our young learners and discuss strategies to engage the great variety of pupils who enter our classes from their different starting points. I hope you can join me on this episode and be inspired. So let's not waste any more time. Let's sit back, relax, and hear Ollie Stewart's View from the Lab. Hi, Ollie. Welcome to the View from the Lab podcast. Hi, Andy. Um, really nice to have you on today um, to have a kind of a, a young um, teacher, young science teacher. I mean, do you call yourself an ECT now? Are you kind of an officially a teacher? Where are you in your kind of career um, at the moment? Uh, so right now, so I've just passed my NQT year, so I would class myself as a, I think it's quite an old fashioned term, but an RQT now. So I'm within that early careers framework, which is the uh, current model. Okay, the RQT. And now you're based up in, um, to me, the deep north, because I'm coming from, the, if you like, the deep south near Southampton, you're up in the deep north to me, up in Cumbria. Um, is um, is it, because we're recording this just before Christmas, really-ish, uh, is it quite cool up there now this time of year? Uh, there's cool and then there's Cumbrian cool. Uh, it's very cold at the minute, uh, very dark. Um, I'm quite glad I made it back in time uh, to get to drive while it's still light. So um, it's very cold and very bitter at the minute. The winters here are brutal. And uh, what, what is your experience of Cumbria itself? I mean, do, do you grow up there? So you teach there now, but do you also grow up in Cumbria? Is, do you know the area well? Uh, no, so I moved here ooh, August of 2019, so I've been here just over two years now, and I uh, I grew up in in Yorkshire, so I'm I'm a little bit used to the north, but to me this is proper in the sticks north, you know. Um, so no, the area, I'm still discovering bits to the area. I absolutely love the place though. Um, it's really got me out in the uh, in the wilds, and it's it's taught me loads of really cool skills like camping and fishing and uh, all of those sort of things. Yeah, so it's got good opportunities for the the outdoor life. Um, I was going to ask you first of all about kind of your your interest in science, really, because um, you know most science teachers at some point decided science was for them. And I just want to start off with what it was about science that um, really interested you when you may be in, in primary school or in senior school. Was it, was it a particular event, or did you just kind of kind of seep into your consciousness as you were growing up? I'd say it was definitely seeping into my consciousness as I was growing up. Um, I was always kind of exposed to science because my family's got quite a scientific background. My granddad was a vet. And um, I'd say he was probably the first person who inspired me to pursue science. Um, the way he talked about animals and the environment just really inspired me to pursue that further. Uh, when I got to primary school, I had a fascination with experiments. And um, I think this, the, 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 the cartoons at the time, like Dexter's Laboratory and things like that, really inspired me to pursue science even more. Secondary school, I flourished again. Uh, so I really liked the content that was taught, especially in GCSE biology and chemistry. Um, I really loved doing the experiments in that, like elephant's toothpaste and iodine clocks and the dissections were really fun as well. And yeah, it just really inspired me to pursue that A-level, uh, where again, I worked on, I developed my skills on biology and chemistry, where I did a degree in biochemistry at Newcastle University, which really um, opened my eyes to the world of, of molecular medicine and um, oncology and all that, all those really interesting scientific fields. Okay, so you're, de you're definitely kind of ensconced in the deep north there with uh, Newcastle and Cumbria. Um, have, you ever, have you ever been further south than Manchester, I'm wondering? 
<laughs> no, why would I? No, um, no <laughs> why I would you? Why would you? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I've, I've never really been further south uh, than than Sheffield. Really, I've 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 just sort of stuck to the north. So yeah, no no need to go further south. No need to go further. No, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. Um, so obviously you had a you know love of science and um, you said bio, you know, biology, molecular biology. Um, was it you know was science and kind of sharing it with others in terms of down the education route, was that something that was always in your mind or was this something that you kind of heard of and thought, well, that might be a good idea, I'll give it a go for a bit? Or was it um, just a natural interest you had, uh, you know, after your degree? It was a sort of combination between the last two things you just said there. So for me, it was um, someone said, oh, just give this a go because I was, um, when I was studying at Newcastle, there was an optional module called Science Communication, which I really, really found interesting. I love talking about science and there was a, a component in that module uh, where you had to deliver a lesson to a group of 14-year-olds um, who, in fact, were university students. We had to pretend they were 14-year-olds. And the lesson was all about honeybees. And I remember really, really enjoying prepping for the lesson and really, really enjoying delivering the lesson. And I remember getting quite a, de- a good mark in the, um, in the component itself. Um, but because of that, my, um, the course leader at the time said, I think you'd be good at, you know, pursuing, uh, doing teaching it, pursuing that. So I, I did some work experience, made a few calls and I got some volunteering sorted and I, it really, really intrigued me after doing that first um, one or two uh, uh, volunteering sessions at the local Newcastle school. From that, it, it just stemmed from that, really. So I did a lot of experience as a cover teacher and uh, in the year after that, and then I uh, applied for Teach First um, in 2018. Okay, and where was that based? Was that in Newcastle? So the school experience was in Newcastle, but then I went back home to Yorkshire, and that is when I wanted to move to um, the northwest. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and um, thinking about, I suppose the, you know, where you teach at the moment. I get. Well, how would you describe it in terms? Of, obviously, schools are idiosyncratic in terms of like the communities they serve, and. To a certain extent, I suppose you broadly characteristic of you know your your the, the, you know students you teach maybe of 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 a broadly similar type. I suppose. I mean, it was what, where or how would you describe a school at the moment? Is it a very rural school? Is it in a town? Is it in kind of a, a bigger town within Cumbria? What what kind of um, community does it serve? So the, the community itself it serves a it's part of a bigger town um, on the west coast yeah. of Cumbria, um, which is uh, it's a lovely town. Um, I've I've been there a few times myself. Um, but it's got a great community of um, students in it who are some of the friendliest students who I've ever met. Um, they will drop anything uh, to help you out. Um, they'll always greet you at the door. They're very friendly, very forthcoming, and they've got so much potential to them. And um, it's just really inspired me to just stay there and do what I can in my lessons. Okay. Um, it's interesting you say because I know that... Broadly speaking, um, you often see statistics coming out of, um, you know, government departments uh, saying, you know, the most challenging areas in terms of educational kind of progress, in a sense, um, often is not what you think. It's often it's often rural areas sometimes or especially areas on the coast in in, in, in England when we're looking at those kind of stats. So um, did you find that? Obviously, it's, it's different, of course, wherever you are in the, in the, in, in, in England or, you, or the UK, it's going to be different. But um, are there particular challenges uh, in terms of whether it be the, the difficulty of delivering the curriculum or sometimes the difficulty of getting staff, of course, to some of these almost far-flung places to a certain extent? Um, what are the challenges at the moment in your school? 
So the current challenges that we're finding is that the um, the, the students are finding it hard to keep their, their motivation up to pursue the education. Uh, in lessons, we've noticed that students tend to be a little bit, um, I don't want to use the word lazy, but they can be a little bit apathetic. Um, it, it can take quite a lot to get them motivated, but that's just, you know, I think that's just something to, I think that's a mixture of not only the area, but the effect of COVID uh, as well with lockdown. Um, yeah, but you are right in saying that the other challenge is being um, trying to get the staff to come to work in these areas because you are flung into the middle of nowhere, essentially. And, you know, the other challenge is being that these students are exposed to quite a lot of depravity in the area as well, um, which can, it really affects their, their mental well-being, I've noticed. They've got this attitude about them where they think, why should I do this? There's no point in getting a grade in this because I'll just go on the dole or I'll just have a a job, um, a low level, a low level skill job, which, um, you know, for, for some of our students is a real win, but for some of them, it's, it's showing that they're not really showing their full potential, which is, can be frustrating at times. Um, and another challenge we've noticed, especially with science and a lot of the sort of abstract uh, subjects like maths, they can't see the relevance of it. So they think, well, why should I, why do I need to know about mitochondria or why do I need to know about rates of reaction? when I'm not exposed to that in my, in my life, um, which is something that as a scientist, someone who's really passionate about science, I do, I do tend to find that a little bit frustrating from time to time. But I think the real challenge, which I like, is trying to make it relevant to them. And that's something that keeps me interested day to day. Okay. And um, in terms of your, your students themselves, I mean, do they, I mean, is, is there, do they find it sometimes difficult to kind of see beyond the town, as it were, in a sense, and um, think about other opportunities, maybe a bit bit further afield sometimes? Um, is that a kind of difficulty when, as you say, they can't always see the, in a sense, not sometimes literally see the things that you're talking about um, and how they, that kind of links into their possible future job job um, aspirations, perhaps? I mean, is, is, is that a difficult um, thing to merge? Definitely, yeah. The, the the furthest, you know, I've I've heard one student in the past say, "Oh, I went really far away this weekend," and I asked, "Oh, where did you go?" And they went, "Oh, we went to Carlisle, which is about an hour down the road." You know, it's it's they don't really see much beyond Cumbria, um, yeah. which I'm, I, for 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 me, I'm I'm not sure why they don't see beyond Cumbria. But I think it's just because of the world they're they're in at the minute. I think it's all they know, um, which is. You know, sometimes you want to say to them, there is a massive wide world out there and there's all these universities and, and colleges and opportunities available to you, but they can't see beyond Whitehaven or the town they're in, you know? Do you, I mean, I know school trips are always a bit of a challenging thing to organise in schools, but um, I know you're very keen on kind of extracurricular stuff. Do, does your school um, have the kind of ability and resources to take the, the students somewhere sciencey, so to speak, in terms of outside the town? Or is it is that been a bit of a challenge as well? That's been an, another big challenge, actually, is we would like to take our students to somewhere scientific and somewhere where there is a lot of, um, where they can be exposed to a lot of science. Um, my initial suggestions are things like Newcastle, but it is getting the funding together. And one real okay. challenge is trying to um, get some of the parents to subsidise subsidize a little bit of money towards the trip, but it can be a real challenge to do. Um, yeah. The to be honest, the close thing we do have to science actually is the landscape. So we do have the special sites of scientific interest. So we've got the fells, we've got the lake. So we could do a lot of um, work in... Um, um, you know, field work with um, 
quadrats and transects and um, every ecology and things like that. But um, if we really want, to, you know, if we want to get to the nitty gritty science, the molecular level, you know, we'd have to go somewhere like Newcastle or Carlisle at the closest place. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So kind of challenges there. I wanted to move on to um, how I spotted you really, which is the Golden Apple Award for um, great teaching. Could you tell me a little bit about that? What were you nominated for? Sorry, what did you win? And um, can you tell me a bit about the award itself um, as an introduction? Yeah, of course. So it's a um, it's it's an award run by um, various boards, so such as the University of Cumbria and um, Energy Coast. And the idea is to look at all of the schools in Western Cumbria. Yeah. And there's mul- there's a multitude of awards like um, uh, most improved school, uh, best primary school, um, best teaching assistant. Um, and there's not only awards for teaching staff, but for students as well, like hardworking, most resilient, etc. Um, my award was for best professional newcomer in education. Um, and I was nominated out of, out of the blue by members of... Uh, staff I think it was heads of department in my school uh, they did a, a poll and they they wanted um, a name pulled forward for Whitehaven to be put forward for this uh, this award and yeah when I, f- when I found out I was nominated I was I was I was I was shocked so I was like really <laughs> yeah but um but then yeah I, I didn't think I'd get any further than that but when I when I found out that I won um through the paper I was I was I was actually I didn't believe it until the night itself which was so nice. The night itself was really, really good, um, and yeah, I, I I display it quite nice and, and proudly on my on my desk here. So yeah, that's good. So was it held in uh, Carlisle in the, the the county town, or it was held in Workington? It was held at the um, Energy Coast uh, School uh, in Lily Hall, okay, which wow. is just outside of Workington, um, and it was a, it was a fantastic venue and. Um, yeah, lots of amazing teaching staff and and students were there on the night collecting all these fabulous awards. You've 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 got the award, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, what were what were the key factors you think that made a difference? Because obviously you're doing something different than than I, I suppose you could you could say it's a bad term, but the everyday teacher you must, must be putting something extra in. So what kind of things you're doing in terms of science? You think that kind of nudged you towards that nomination, or any things that you you like to do? Um, at the school to promote science could be just within even within your lessons rather than outside but um, what kind of things do you think made the difference for you being nominated and ultimately winning the award? I think the one thing that made the difference for me was my mentor Um, he was the guy who really pushed me he said you've got to be I mean with science you know you've always got to try and make it relevant to them and you've always got to be pushing yourself more and more so you can be that outstanding science teacher and it just really inspired me to do that and one thing that we did together was we made um, a Lego League club which is a after-school club that we run, which um, is, consists of about 10 pupils. And the idea of the, of the club is we um, build a Lego um, robot, which interacts with um, Lego obstacles on a map. And the idea is that when we work on this robot and we code it and work well as a team, we go to um, a venue where we compete in a, a regional tournament against other schools to see who can come up with the best robot and presentation. Because there's uh, not only is the the science in the in the coding, but there's the science in the teamwork as well. Because the students have got to realise how good teamwork is uh, is is executed. Um, so that could be by pulling ideas together, by working on each other's ideas, and um, just working well as a team and and, and developing relationships. Um, so that's one thing that we've done. 
And another thing that we've done with um, our STEM lead in the school was we did a glider club. So what that involved was we took um, information from the Crest Award, which is a, an external awarding organization which gives awards to students who compete in this club uh, or sort of partake in this club. And they build a glider from scratch. Uh, and I don't mean like a, like a styrofoam glider. I mean like a big, like made out of uh, wood um, with a motor attached, um, attached to a propeller with a, with, 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 with a functioning um, design to it. And that was another thing that really got our students excited about science because they were so proud that they built this thing from scratch and they could see it from design to um, gliding, which I thought for me was actually quite powerful because they saw science in everything that they, that they did from design to, uh, to, to the gliding of the, uh, the glider. The final product and what would it, um did you get quite a nice mix of kids in terms of different um attainment levels in those kind of clubs or was it more high attainers or was it a bit of bit of both within, within those two clubs it was it was a, a solid mix it was a solid mix with both clubs um the first year we ran lego Cle- uh, lego league we had um a student who was he was quite a low attaining pupil but he was the best coder on the team and I, I like to think that he won, he won us the competition because of his skill in coding. And the same thing with the glider club. The best team with the glider club um, consisted of students who um, were very were very mixed attainment levels. And the the reason why they won this club is because they pulled together not their skills from books or their academic knowledge, but it was their skills of um, what they'd learned in real life. Um, so I think one student had said that, yeah, I've, I've, I've used to drop. Um, I used to make parachutes with my dad, and I know that if we increase the surface area of the wings, um, we can get the glider to glide more. I thought that was actually a really, really fantastic idea because they've used that external knowledge, not that what they've learned in school, but what they've learned in real life. Yeah, it must have been a, a fantastic um, and enjoyable project for both you know the teachers involved and the students. And um, as I mentioned before, we're kind of recording this in almost, almost December 2021 um, and we're coming into uh, the winter time, although Cumbria might have come into winter in September, I don't know. Um, and uh, obviously COVID's been on everyone's minds over the last uh, couple of years. Um, what kind of big challenges do you have in your, your school, particularly uh, in terms of uh, maybe the initial kind of lockdown, I guess, which was um, a surprise to many people, I suppose. Um, and what kind of things do your school do to... Um, obviously try and keep the education going and what were the difficulties and, and did you find any solutions that were particularly uh, worked really well in your school? Yeah. So the big issue we had during the first lockdown was um, it was just this, the suddenness of it all, wasn't it? You know, it's just, this is, this has happened and we, you know, SLT and, and teachers had to come up with a, a solution quick. And the biggest problem that came up um, from wanting to do these live lessons and was the, was students access to technology because not all of our students have got a laptop. You know, some of, some of our students had to share a phone, you know, with their, with their siblings. So, you know, their siblings might've been in another secondary school or in primary school. So they had to share one phone for, for learning for the day. So um, what happened was the local um, company called Sellafield donated around, I think 200 laptops um, to our school, which was, given out to all of uh, all of the students who struggled to access technology and from that um we found that the the, the live learning became a lot more um engaging because they were wanting to access the lessons which was good to see um and 
Yeah, the, the, the other big issue we had was the internet connectivity. Uh, so not all the students would have had access to the internet because of the, the subscription required or the money required to pay for it. Um, so I think another scheme was put in place either by the school or by Sellerfield where they did give um, students access to the internet, which was a fantastic opportunity for our students to become connected with, with the, uh, the live lessons. Um, another big challenge um, that we found as well was talking to the, the black screen because no student wanted to turn their screen on. So we found it really, really difficult as teachers to try and engage and motivate the pupils to submit work and to engage with the lesson because we wanted to try and make our live lessons engaging. But if we couldn't see them, we found that difficult in ourselves. So it, I don't think it was only just the, the students and what we found challenging with them. I think it's what we found challenging with ourselves. I think the, the teachers found it really tough at that time as well. And um, I was thinking about the things you've learned as well from, from that, that time period, because I know I've spoke, spoken to quite a few teachers and some things that, that they started doing differently in, in schools, whether that be the way they set work or the way they communicate with parents. Um, something's changed in terms of in a positive way in some way or something's become more efficient because of disruption. Um, is there anything in your school that you, you kind of have carried on from the pandemic in a sense in terms of some of the, the processes or the systems you decided to adopt? When things started you know becoming a bit less um restrictive yeah definitely what we found was that because during during lockdown and during live learning uh, you know students weren't consistent with attending live lessons so they were a bit lost in where they were in the in the scheme of work in the grand scheme of things so what we devised were these um almost like like a learning footwalk. So these uh, personalized learning checklists which um would be ticked off by the student via a red amber green rating so red would be they don't understand or they didn't understand the lesson amber would be that they partly understood it and green being that they fully understood it or nearly fully understood it and we use those in lockdown to try and track their progress to see how they understood the content and that's something we've carried on this year in science and in other departments in the school um, which is like a little, just a little um, piece of paper, which uh, they stick in their books and it allows, uh, it allows us to monitor the progress uh, with a, a scheme of work or a unit. And have you, have the way you've um, kind of assessed, you know, also at home changed at all? Because I know a lot of schools adapted kind of um, different ways of getting work in to a certain extent. Uh, people, some of these use Google Classroom, for example. Um, is there anything you've kind of kept from in terms of, I guess, monitoring students in a sense of, um, you know, their understanding of the work, like you said, in terms of the, the, the RAG rating, are there particular things you, your kind of departments embraced um, electronically more or have things kind of gone back to, if you said, well, I'd say normal homework, I guess, you know, setting something and, it, you know, getting something in the book back? I'd say it's been, it's been a bit of a mix of both. Um, we used to use an online platform called, called uh, Educate. Um, which were a series of, which was like a bank of questions, which we could set for key stage three, key stage four. Um, but what we were finding is that the questions weren't marrying up well with with the um, exam board that we use, which is AQA. So we, we've decided to ditch that. And that was done after lockdown, which I thought was quite interesting um, of a move for, for our head of department to do, which I totally agree with. Um, what we have done more now though, is setting more exam questions. So what we like to online now is for our key stage four classes once every two lessons is to um, attach a, uh, a digital document on um, our online homework platform called Satchel One. And the students are to access that 
Uh, they can print it out, they can write it on a piece of paper and bring it in, or they can submit it online and um, we mark it in the next lesson. And uh, that's something we carried on from lockdown because during lockdown to get the sequential flow of learning going, what we would do is we'd set an exam question at the end of the lesson and then review it at the start. And that's something we've carried on uh, after lockdown, which I've, I've actually really enjoyed doing. It's like a demonstrating knowledge and then we're gonna connect it the next lesson, which I, I really, really like as a teacher. Okay, and kind of almost um, motivating for students to hope in terms of they know it's going to be used in some way in the next in the next session. So they kind of hopefully get um, more motivated to kind of complete the work so they're ready for the ready for the lesson. Um, and anything inside the lesson you like to use um, uh, in terms of interactive tech could be a um, you know a quiz, quizzing thing, whatever. I mean, is there anything you particularly like to to wheel out every now and again to kind of um, on a Friday afternoon to get them uh, get them in, in, engaged in terms of? I know there's lots of different quizzing apps, etc. So, do you do you engage in that kind of um, uh, fun stuff at the end of the week? Yeah, Kahoot has got to be the biggest um, the biggest uh, quizzing platform that I use for my lessons. Now, it's it's normally something I, I don't really like to use every lesson. Yeah, um, I like to do it. Um, if I do a big topic, I'd like to do um, a revision session. And during that revision session, what I would do is I would make some questions for them, some differentiated questions. But then I would like to do, um, you know, it's a bit of like a little treat, um, five or ten minutes of Kahoot, because um, it gets that element of competitiveness going. And it, it's really interesting to see them respond to that because they get so competitive with each other. And it's nice to see them actually thinking and trying to apply their knowledge to a question, which is something you don't see a lot, especially if you've got a low attaining physics class, you know, but when they've got Kahoot on, they're like, right, let's get involved now, let's do this. Um, but yeah, that's that's probably the biggest thing I like to use. I used to use spiral.ac uh, when I was uh, doing the lockdown, which was like a little quiz quizzing platform you'd make as well. Um, since we've come back, that's not really a thing to use now because we it's, 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 it's quite fiddly with how you use it. So lots of kind of lots of uh, fun options to, to for our teachers to have a go at. Now, I was going to ask you about um, uh, science curriculum generally. Obviously, obviously you're relatively um, young to the profession, and and you, you've got kind of a, you've had experience of you know university life, etc., and the way science is done in um, I hate to say the word the real world, but you know the you know the academic world, I suppose. Um, is there is there things you'd like to see changing in terms of specifically like the GCSE curriculum when you think that because you've seen the journey of what you learn on the way of going from GCSE to A level and then on to on to university. Um, are there any things you think we should be adding more of in and it could be anything in biology, chemistry, physics or is it anything we should maybe be taking out because maybe it's um, doesn't really help with progression particularly or it, or, it, or it doesn't motivate students massively in terms of their their love of science any thoughts on how you'd like things to change in you know next time the exams uh, change again at some point what would you like to, to see in 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 the in the new specs as it were if they came out definitely there needs to be more um relevance to science and education um it's something that i've really noticed more um the last sort of one uh, couple of years uh seeing low attaining students trying to grasp covalent bonding can be some of it's it can be one of the most grinding things to try and teach because they don't understand it and i think there needs to be a scheme or a, a curriculum in place for those students because they can't access that level of, of science it is too much it's too abstract they can't see it 
And so what we're having to do is come up with a lot of models. And when we introduce these models, sometimes we introduce quite a lot of misconceptions. Um, so the other day I was um, marking year 11 mocks and it was a question along the lines of why does magnesium chloride have this formula? And they need to talk about this, the, the ions involved. Um, but they quoted a technique that I helped them to understand that, which is called a swap and drop, which is where you swap the numbers around and you make the compound what it should be. Um, and that's, you know, it, it's something that I've inadvertently introduced to them, which, you know, has lost them the mark. So there needs to be some kind of scheme in place where it's for students who can't access this material because it is too abstract. It's just too difficult for them to understand. I find as a novice teacher anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. there needs, to, I think there just needs to be some big change, not only in science, but I think across the whole education board itself. There's a lot of a lot of aspects of education that students do not understand, and because they don't understand, they're not motivated and they will refuse refuse to engage. So, as a teacher, you know you, you can find that very frustrating because it's something you really want to teach and you really want to get that message across, but they can't get that because they don't want to get that. So yeah. there needs, I, I feel like there just needs to be some big changes. Thinking about um, yourself as a, you know, as a, as a young career, uh, you know, early career, so an RTQ, sorry, um, a teacher, uh, and you and you're where you're based at the moment. Um, what are you thinking about in terms of your your own journey, I suppose, in education? Is it is you know, are you quite keen to stay in Cumbria? Do you want to do you want to move up the ladder? Do you want to become a head teacher one day, head of the department, wherever it might be? Have you thought that far ahead? Yeah, my my plans really are to carry on with what I'm doing at the minute. I really like boots to the ground um sort of work at the minute i really like being in the classroom yeah um, in the foreseeable future though i think i would like to move up the ladder but i think being head of department and eventually slt and and, and, and the head teacher would probably like to be my be, be my um progression um but something i'd really like to consider would be educational consultancy so i'd like to get to the point where i would like i would like to try and work across a variety of schools and um try to improve them in a sense um because it's consultancies work where I find it's entirely problem solving. And for me, I love that line of work where I've just put my mind to it. And I think what needs doing, how can we change it and what can be done? So that for me is, is definitely something I'd like to consider. Um, I've, I've spoken to a couple of educational consultants in the past and they, they said, you do need, you need, you do need to be this problem solver who's trying to, you know, adapt to the, it will try and trying to face these challenges and then trying to come up with solutions to them. And I think that marries up really well with science and, and being a scientist, you know, scientists very much work like that as well. They are presented with a problem. They need to come up with some kind of solution to that. And I think that's almost bringing in science to, you know, education, which I'm all for, you know, is I think marrying those two things are, are really interesting to me. Yeah, and still a satisfying role, I imagine, just looking at different problems in different school settings. Um, and, you know, as, as, as you're well aware, I'm sure, you know, school, all schools have different types of problems and different um, challenges uh, that they've got to face. So, yeah, it sounds like a good um, a good route for you, um, especially, you know, you, you love that impact within the classroom as well and seeing that impact linked to the science. Uh, that sounds like a sensible, sensible choice. Um, I wanted to finish off with... Um, do some recommendations from you because um, I hate to say like an, a bit of an old man and talk, talk about books, but um, are there any books or are there any um, uh, people on Twitter, which would be more modern, um, that you kind of draw inspiration from in terms of um, 
either I suppose the book's more of a kind of more general science thing about what you know what excites you about science and uh, if there are any um or you know from Twitter I guess you know what who are the inspirational people that you follow if you do follow anyone on Twitter in terms of getting some good ideas resources uh, whatever it might be or even websites if you like so what what do you use um what is your secret kind of chest of ideas that you delve into when you when you're thinking looking for inspiration um, so for Twitter, the main one I've used before is iTeachBoys97. Uh, that guy has saved me so many times, uh, especially when I'm teaching low attaining classes. Um, there's lots of fun activities in there for them to use, especially in the uh, physics and chemistry subjects, which I've, I've used a few times now, which I've really enjoyed. Um, someone who I'm reading at the minute is Ross Morrison McGill. Uh, some he offers these really, really interesting teaching tips, um, which I found really useful, uh, especially as a novice teacher. Um, and the other, I'd say they're the main two sources I've used. In terms of science, though, um, there's quite a few names I could I could go through. So Brian Cox, his work and and his his level of engagement. You know, I think the students love him as well, which is good to see. Um, for me, though, Richard Dawkins, uh, his his attitude towards science and the absoluteness of it all, the definitive nature of it is something that I've always respected from because he is sub by science and he, he will say this is this is science this is how this is how right it is and this is why we should believe in it um so that's always something I've really respected from Richard Dawkins um Neil deGrasse Tyson Bill Nye the science guy um David Attenborough there's so uh, it's you know so many different people just involved in science which has always inspired me not not now not just now but you know from when I was um, from when I was younger, it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear you say Bill Nye, the science guy, because I often used to play him in the classroom, and it's nice to hear that he's still he's still going. And he's got a few good videos out there still. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I guess Brian Cox is probably up in Cumbria a lot because he, he's often being filmed on top of a mountain, isn't he? Looking uh, towards the, uh, the the stars. So I imagine he drops into Cumbria more often than you'd, than you'd think. So, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Really appreciate uh, you giving us the time. I know you're a busy person, um, so thanks again. And uh, it was really great to hear your your view from the lab. Thank you, Ollie. Oh, thank you very much for your time, Andy. Cheers. So there you have it, another inspirational episode of the View from the Lab podcast. It was so nice to catch up with Ollie and to hear about his passion for all things science teaching up in Cumbria. Do you know another creative new science teacher who's doing great things in your school or college? Feel free to get in touch with me via my email at andy.woods.pearson.com. That's all for now. Hope you can join me on the next episode for another slice of sciencey goodness. So until then, take it easy.